G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. My husband Matthew actually died in a in a bushwalking accident mm. um, when we lived in the Blue Mountains when my son was only nine months old. Mm. So um, it was quite a shock, and I lost trust in God uh, at that time also. Yep. But what that led to, um, I developed an interest in how trust actually works and why do we seem to break trust um, as often as we do. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we actually have two stories for you from women who have had to overcome huge challenges in their lives. We'll begin with Vanessa Hall, whose husband died when their child was only nine months old. Later, when her son turned 10, he taught her a valuable lesson about trust. It impacted her so much that she developed a simple but profound model of trust that she now teaches to organisations throughout the world. Vanessa's having a chat and sharing her incredible story with Karen Hunt. Now, have you always been a Sydney-based girl or were you born and bred somewhere else? Pretty much born and bred in Sydney. Yeah? Yeah, lived in the Blue Mountains for a while. Nice. Which was lovely, but now very much based in the city, in Abbotsford, actually. In Abbotsford. Very nice. Northwest, very, very lovely. What was life like for you then in the Blue Mountains and in your childhood years? Um, I'm one of eight children, uh, so I'm number seven actually out of uh-huh. eight. Grew up in a middle class family, in a Baptist family actually. Yeah. Um, so I went to Sunday school, girls brigade, and I ran Bible study groups and all those sorts of things through the church. Married when I was 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, moved to the Blue Mountains. I was very young. Um, oh, so you weren't in the Blue Mountains until you were married? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, moved, moved there when uh, we were married and built our first house at 19 also, which was um, quite an adventure. I reckon. Yeah. And built our second house when I was 22. So, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> very early. Okay. Yeah. So this family with eight children, mm-hmm. not in the Blue Mountains, but in the city, in the suburbs of Sydney? We're in Emu Plains. Yeah. Which is Western Sydney. Okay. Yeah. And obviously faith was a key part of your family culture from those young years, from what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Very much encouraged to go to church and to love God, which is a, a wonderful way to be brought up. What did you enjoy doing? What other things did you love? As I was growing up? Yeah. Um, I actually quite enjoyed school, which was interesting. I always loved learning, um, loved reading. I was a big one for getting on my, my bike when I got home from school. I remember I'd race in the door and have my drink and my biscuit that my mum always had ready for me. And, uh, and I'd jump on my bicycle and go riding around till it was dark pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so it was a fairly simple life, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, you don't see so many kids riding around on bikes anymore. The simple pleasures. And what did you hope to do? When you grew up and left school, did you always want to get married young? I don't know that I necessarily always wanted to get married young, but I certainly always had a thought that I would marry and have children. I I probably imagined myself having more than the one child that I do have. I've always um, always wanted to travel, even though we didn't travel as a family very much. There's actually a big age gap between the eldest and the youngest in my family. It's 25 years. Uh Uh-huh. 
So I never lived with some of the older ones in my family at all. They'd already married and moved out of home before um, you know, before I was born or when I was very young. So, you know, they all did the camping trips and things and my parents did a little bit of travelling when I was growing up. But certainly travelling always had this thing about wanting to travel the world and see the world and things, um, which is something that I have the, the opportunity to do now, which is wonderful. Okay, so travel was always on the agenda. Did you have hopes and goals of going to university, of a particular job or profession? Um, I actually thought I was going to become a singer. My <laughs> My girlfriend and I were huge ABBA fans ah. when we were growing up. And yeah. Although we were both blonde. so we. I was going to say, which, which one were you? Yeah, well, we, we could never agree because we both wanted to be uh, the, the blonde one. Uh-huh. Did that ever happen? Uh, well, interestingly, I, I love writing songs and mm-hmm. I've written a few songs. Now I've written children's songs in particular. Good on you. Uh, around this whole concept of trust, which, I, um, which I'm doing now and working with. So, yeah, we, I have actually recorded, my sister and I actually recorded a few songs, but we haven't done anything with it in terms of uh, getting it out. They've had too many other things to do. So. Writing songs in encouraging others, uh, entente, a French word, which means understanding which is all about good relations. So even as a young one, you had good relationships with your friends. What does Entente mean to you? You're the founder and director now, Entente. What is that? So Entente is dedicated to helping people understand what trust is. So the whole focus of Entente is building and restoring trust in all aspects of life, whether that's in business or it's in our homes and our families um, or in communities um, as well. So I've had a fascination with the concept of trust for probably as long as I can remember, actually, and originally developed a career in compliance and risk management in the finance industry, which was, I always tell people that I worked in one of the least trusted industries at the mistrust end of business yeah. because... Uh, you know, a lot of legislation, of course, has only only exists because there's been some kind of breakdown of trust in the mm. first place, um, and so that's how we respond in a business sense. Is you know, we bring in rules and regulations and laws to to try and protect people and to give guidance when trust is broken down. So, so there was a fascination in the concept of trust um, from that perspective. I had you know issues. Um, in my own relationships and things, you know, breakdown of trust throughout life. Uh, and I've seen so much of it that I developed this interest in this whole concept of trust. But because trust is so integral to all of our relationships, you know, the focus then became across all aspects. As I said, organisational relationships, our own personal relationships, mm. marriage and parenting and, mm-hmm. and, um, and then broader trust across communities and society in general. Vanessa, the trust lady, tell us the story of how this whole concept of trust became a really key part of your life that you decided to create a whole organisation dedicated to that. Um, well, I touched on before that I, um, you know, I married quite young. I married at 19. We had our first child, Lachlan, when, uh, when I was 26. However, my my husband Matthew actually died in a in a bushwalking accident mm. um, when we lived in the Blue Mountains when my son was only nine months old. Mm. So um, it was quite a shock. Um, I thought it, it was actually a betrayal of trust in a sense. You know, we had these plans for you know, how we were going yeah. to, to live our life and the children we were going to have and so on. Um, so you know, that was quite a devastating. Um, yeah, incredibly devastating. Mm. Um, and I lost trust in God uh, at that time also. Yep. Um, you know, I 
I didn't know where he was in, in my life mm-hmm. as a part of that. So it was a significant moment in, obviously, you know, in that sense. But what that led to, as I mentioned, you know, developing this career in, in compliance and risk in the finance industry and seeing, you know, constant breakdown of trust and betrayal of trust in that industry, um, I developed an interest in how trust actually works and why do we seem to break trust um, as often as we do. Uh, when my son, who now sort of fast forward was 10 years old, mm-hmm. um, nine turning 10, made me a card at school for Mother's Day. Uh, he brought me, you know, made me my cup of tea and my toast to bring me my breakfast on Mother's Day morning and he handed me this card which said, my mum is loving and caring. She likes to buy lots of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> she always writes and reads. Sometimes she can keep promises, but the best thing about my mum is she's always there for me. And mm. I said, well, that's really sweet, but, um, you know, what do you mean sometimes she keeps promises? I said, what's that about? And he just said, well, you just don't always keep your promises. And I, I said, you're going to be kidding me. <laughs> mm. Give me an example. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, like a couple of weekends ago, you said that we'd go to the movies on the weekend and then we didn't go. You know, I remembered what had happened and we got busy and people popped in and things and um, we just didn't get around to doing it. And I said to him, but that wasn't a promise. And he said, but I thought it was. Mm. And I started to think about, you know, all the times that I would do that with him. And then I started to think about all the times we say these things, you know, we must do lunch. And, you know, we make these off-the-cuff comments all the time. And my head went into a bit of a spin. And I said to him, what happens when I do this? How does this make you feel? And he was sitting on the end of my bed and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, I don't know when I can trust you. Oh, wow. It was, it was just gut-wrenching. Mm. Um, you know, he, he was it. I mean, it was just him and me. And mm-hmm. I thought I had this close relationship. And in a sense, I guess it was close that he felt able to highlight this and to talk to me about it. But it was the thing that really got me thinking about how easy it is to break down trust and the people who are trusting us and what are we doing? Are we are we nurturing, you know, that trust because it's a special gift, but it's also very fragile. So that developed the whole concept then of, of wanting to understand more about it. So I developed a model from that, that conversation really, yeah. that describes how trust works. And it's quite a unique model and it's what I now write about and speak about and I teach it all around the world. But there's an element of, you know, kind of, yeah, so what about trust? If you ask people, you know, 99% of people would, will admit that trust is very important. You know, it's critical in our relationship. Um, but what we don't seem to understand is what it actually is and how it works. And that's mm. fundamentally what I get to is a very, very simple model. We teach the same model to six-year-old kids as I do to CEOs of multinational corporations. Mm. And it very simply describes how trust comes about and the simple things that we do, like making a, a, a promise like that, like we'll go to the movies or, you know, we just say things all the time that people take, they develop expectations, they see it as a promise, you know, it meets certain needs that we have and then when we don't deliver on those things, we actually chip away at this trust relationship. We're disappointed. We get disappointed, we get frustrated, we get angry, you know, it, it actually creates a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives as well. So there's a lot of understanding, which is what I'm trying to, um, yeah. you know, it means there's a lot of understanding that comes from teaching this concept. People get a, a revelation as to why they do the things they do, why they felt the way they felt, but also potentially what role they might have played in that if there's mm. been a relationship breakdown and, and that sort of thing. So there's also a healing that comes from learning this. Um, but it's also very strategic and, you know, in a business sense, we teach, well, how do you... 
how do you get this? How do you understand how to build trust with your customers? Because at the end of the day, they don't, they're not going to buy from you unless they trust you. So how do you strengthen that trust and build it? How do you do that with your congregation if you're a church or with your students if you're a school? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Vanessa, where do you place God then in this picture? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mentioned when my uh, when my husband died, I I would still have called myself a Christian, but I I wasn't having an active relationship with God. But the question started to come up amongst clients and people that I was working with, and people would say, "Well, how can you talk about trust without talking about it from a Christian perspective and without exploring it from that aspect?" So I picked up my Bible again and I started reading and I started to look at the nature of trust in God. I have a whole series of workbooks, all the training and things that I do is all around the seven truths about trust. Mm-hmm. So I actually wrote the seven truths about trust every Christian needs to know. Mm. And um, I drafted it and I floated it past a few people who I know who are very theologically strong. Yeah. And uh, one actually, he very kindly sort of uh, arranged a meeting with me and in a roundabout way, um, and then in a not-so-roundabout way, basically said I needed to go to theological college <laughs> and uh, and get a much stronger grounding um, in this. So I did. So over the last two and a half years, yeah. I've been studying at Mauling, um, which is a Baptist Bible college. Uh-huh. I've done a graduate diploma in divinity so that I can get a much more solid understanding of what it means to trust God, why it can be difficult um, why we struggle with it and how we can strengthen that relationship. And that's also now what I teach in a lot of the training programs that I run. Now, Vanessa, just take us back a little bit. You said that your first husband accidentally died during a bushwalking incident. Your son, Lachlan, was nine months old. You've travelled this journey of personal discovery and exploration and making sense of life. But you have remarried. How long ago did that happen? And tell us about your hub. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, actually, because it's connected with the whole uh, development of trust and entente. Mm-hmm. I had developed the model and the concept and then realized that this was something and I really felt moved to take this to the world. And you know, I needed to write books and I knew I wanted to travel and teach people and so on. But I was a single mom. Now, I was still working in the finance industry at the time, but I I actually gave up my job so that I could spend time focusing on the development of all this. That's very brave. I I sold my apartment. I had an apartment in Dremoyne. I sold my apartment. I sold my car. And um, my son and I just rented a a small apartment. But I realized as I developed the business plan for all of this that, um, you know, I was going to need a financial backer. So... I spoke to a few contacts and people that I knew and said, look, who do you know who would back this? And so I was introduced to Peter Draper. Um, Now, Peter is a businessman. He was involved in fantastic furniture for many years. He actually was responsible for listing it on the Australian Stock Exchange, but was also a philanthropist and a Christian, good Christian man. So I set up a meeting with him and um, took him through the whole concept of Entente uh, and I took him through the model of trust and I explained you know, where I'd been and where I saw myself going and I'd been praying for about six months in the lead up to this that I would secure you know, a significant investment to back this. And at the end of the meeting, Peter sat back in his chair and he said, I love what you're doing. How much do you want? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And um, so... You know, we had some further meetings and things to talk about how we were going to structure it, but he invested in um, in the business. 
came and met me at my home and Lachlan was there. And then after Peter left, my son said to me, I think you should go out with that man. <laughs> and I said, why would you say that? I mean, this is a child who for months, probably even years, you know, everyone, if I did go out with anybody, which wasn't very often, um, you know, Lachlan was always very, he was very protective of me and was never supportive of anybody. And then out of the blue, he says, you should go out with this man. And how old was he at this so time? The Lachlan son, was, not the man. <laughs> yeah, no, he was 10. Okay. And so, because he'd only just, you know, given me this epiphany about trust. Yeah. Um, which kind of led to all this. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so Peter went from being an investor in my business to, you know, more of a, an interest in other ways. And, um, yeah, and then two years after that, he married me. So, uh. um, yeah, so it was a wonderful, very much a God-led experience. I mean, he's brought us together for, for many, many reasons. And um, between us, we've invested over a million dollars now into... Entente um, to taking it around the world. We do a lot of work in, um, you know, in Africa and through Europe and South America and places like Russia. And um, a lot of that's not paid for. Um, we've funded a lot of the, the work ourselves. So yeah, Peter's a, a gift from God, and uh, interesting just to see how life works. Fantastic. God bless you, Han, and God bless Peter and Lachlan. God bless you with your studies, with your global work. Wish you well. Take care. Thank you very much. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Vanessa Hall, who's the founder and director of Entente, an organisation that has been helping people and organisations across the globe build and restore trust. For more information, her website is vanessahall.com. That's vanessahall.com. Next, we'll hear from another person who's had to overcome huge challenges in life, Nikki Nicholson. That's coming up when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today we have two stories for you that both involve people having to overcome huge challenges in their lives. Before the break, we heard Vanessa Hall share her story. Now, Nikki Nicholson shares about overcoming health challenges. You've been working in the beauty industry now for many years and beauty radiates from you. It truly does. You've got a gorgeous smile, beautiful, bright, shiny eyes. But life for you hasn't always been beautiful. Can you tell us about your early days? I know you were born in New Zealand. Where was that and what was it like for you? I grew up in New Zealand, as as you mentioned, with my beautiful little sister. Um, sadly, we had two siblings pass away quite young so that's that's an impact on the family life. Close together or years apart? Yeah, a few years apart. Whilst I was born in Palmerston North, we lived all over. Auckland, Christchurch, moving to Sydney, Mount Isa. We lived everywhere. We were moving every year, pretty much. Now, you mentioned just a moment ago about two of your siblings. You were quite young when this tragedy struck your family. How old were you and how old were your brother and sister at that time? I was quite young. I was only eight and I do remember that them, you know, as, as being there in the family. I remember their bedrooms and I remember crawling around and that sort of thing. But then when they passed away, I, I actually remember both their funerals. It's it's a very hard time and it's a 
very hard time for the family, including my sister and myself, but also for mum and dad. To be a little bit more specific, what was it that they actually died from? They both had heart and kidney problems, which I also suffer from. Is that something you had from a young age, or have you only more recently discovered that in your adult years? I would have had it as a child, unbeknownst to myself or the family, but it wasn't until I was an adult having a having a procedure in hospital that they discovered that I actually had three kidneys. So it's, it's, it's a little bit unusual. <laughs> You've got three kidneys? Yes, right, three kidneys. <laughs> so how does that work? Well, it's a little bit harder on the body because it goes, I've got an, actually what they call a duplex system, so it goes up through one kidney, everything back out, out through another kidney and, and rejoined back at the bladder. So so it's, it's a very unusual system. So my body just has to work a little bit harder, hence probably my high blood pressure and, and a little bit of a little bit of heart trouble. So you really had to learn to manage that? Has it been a big deal or not really? Well, it's it's your attitude, isn't it? So you can make it a big deal or you can make it not a big deal. So I, I choose the not big deal. Mm. And, you know, I just try to look after myself. Hence the reason I'm into health and nutrition now because just to get my body back in order the way it's meant to be. So you've mentioned the kidneys. What about the heart? Even for you as a young person, were you aware of what was going on physically or how did that play out in your family life? But with my heart, and, and I'm, they're presuming it's probably my blood pressure as well, often I would be playing, doing sport, and all of a sudden I'd just black out. I, I couldn't see a thing. So whilst I'm walking around and my eyes are open, I can't actually see anything. And that's apparently everything sort of shutting down a little bit. So um, whilst mum and dad thought I was just being silly because my eyes are open and I'm, I'm talking and I'm fine, I just literally can't see. So now I used to think, oh, I don't really know what that was. But now they tell me that I, I had the same issue when I was young. So I'm just so blessed to even be here now and and have all the wonderful medical technology that is available to us. Yeah, you are indeed. And I'm imagining as a child, especially with the tragic circumstances, and then you mentioned to me that you actually moved around so much, life must have been just a little bit stressful. Is that accurate? I'm, I'm thinking you might be right. <laughs> But I just have a good attitude about everything, so that's okay. If you can make new friends every year, that's a blessing. Every single year? Pretty much every year. So was faith a part of these early years? How did your parents and you and your sister, how did you cope with all that was going on at that time? Well, sadly it wasn't, and I think had we have had the faith that we have now, things would have been a lot different and much, much easier. It was tricky times for everybody. So did you have community support everywhere you went, or were you kind of isolated? Isolated, left to your own devices, family support? More isolated, definitely. But fortunately, we have grandparents, both sets of grandparents, one in the North Island, one in the South Island of New Zealand. So whilst we were living in those locations, we had, you know, grandparents around, which I absolutely love. So how were they able to impact you and your sister especially? Oh, well, we spend a lot of time with them growing up, so they're just, just beautiful. So, Nikki, you really seem like such a strong person. How strong were your folks in coping with with life not strong at all and you know I really bring that down to a faith thing because without faith they just really don't cope it just takes its toll on your relationship when when they're in that situation it's it's not fun growing up like that it's very very hard not a loving home that's just happy and and full of day-to-day fun things it was very stressful and everyone's trying to you know everyone we're all just trying to cope the best that we could in a, in a really sad situation so you've told me that in your teenage years your folks made a decision to actually leave New Zealand, go to Australia, to Sydney, but the grandparents stayed behind, yeah? 
That's right. My grandparents stayed in New Zealand and with Dad's promotion, we all moved to Sydney and it was, yeah, it was great. I guess there would have been hope for a new life on the horizon. That's exactly what I was meaning. It just felt like there was something new and, you know, happy times ahead. We lived in the heart of Sydney and it was a whole nother world. It was fun. Yet another school, so that's okay. (laughs) New friends. Well, I love making new friends, so I found that quite easy. My sister, my tomboy sister, just, she doesn't find that so easy, but that's okay. She still had a little circle of friends and, and I like to have lots of friends and hair and makeup and high heels and all that sort of stuff. So she's more of a country girl, you said? Yeah, my sister, she, she likes to be out in the country and I like to be in the city. You were there for almost a year and you met this lovely young man by the name of Trevor. Tell us about that. Karen, I met Trevor in school. He was the grade above me and he was just so nice. We used to just have fun hanging out. We met. I moved with mum and dad again up to the Gold Coast. Then Trevor soon followed a year later, say. Then he decided that the Gold Coast was a great place to live, so he moved up to the Gold Coast as well. Then, a little bit longer after that, Trevor asked me to marry him on the beach on the Gold Coast and ten years into our marriage, we decide we might like to have a baby and we did. Beautiful Annalise came along. And you've now got not just Annalise but beautiful Emily came along five years after that. And we honestly have such a beautiful home. We're just happy. We're, we're a bit prankster. We just have a lot of fun and the girls are great. We, we just have a great time. Now a key part of your family life is when the girls were old enough to go to school. You discovered this great Christian school in your local area. How did that impact your family life with Trevor? Well, there's another big change. It was great. We're looking for a school. We find this great school that's been recommended to us and we go along and have a look. It's a Christian school and, and not being brought up as a Christian, you know, that's that's an, another another thing. So we come to the school and we wanted to make sure it wasn't too Christian. <laughs> so we were just suggested to go to church. So we went to church and thought, you know, this is okay. Actually, we really enjoyed it. We felt we felt comfortable straight away. It was nothing like I thought church would be like. I, I, I don't know where I came up with my own idea of what church was but anyway it was totally different and we actually loved it we started coming along and then after we'd been coming for about six weeks consecutively I said to Trevor um I think we go to church and I'm so grateful that we have so how did faith evolve as such for you personally well personally we were coming to the church and because we were making sure that the school was okay we just found the most beautiful people and you know it just never occurred to me that this was real just coming along to church and just coming alongside beautiful Christian people that nurtured us with our lack of faith and our lack of knowledge and now we've just become, you know, we're quite involved in our local church now and the school and our community and it's great. So all these years later, Trevor's actually working in the church, yeah? What's his role? Trevor is the manager of the after school vacation care programming. He as a volunteer works in vision mixing, he's a cameraman, he's a deacon, so he's a busy man. Well you spoke at the very beginning about being so hopeful, about being such a positive person and I know that you will continue to look for the positive, to look up, to look to God, to be the best wife and mother that you can possibly be for your own family to make a difference in your current world for the future generations to come and their heritage and their legacy that you're going to leave behind. God bless you, honey. And, you know, I pray for you and Trevor. I pray for you girls. I look forward to hearing more great things about your business, about your church. God ain't finished with you yet. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. 
That was Karen Hunt chatting with Nikki Nicholson about her life journey. And before that, Vanessa Hall shared her story. As we heard, both of them had to overcome huge challenges in their life and their faith has helped them to overcome. As it says in the Bible in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, thanks for joining us for two stories. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. One day, my life completely changed. I raced home and my mother was, oh, she was dead on the floor. She'd been electrocuted by a little Hoover washing machine. And from that moment on, you know, I was broken hearted. And so I just bottled it up. Ian Watson is the founder of a nationwide men's ministry. But when he was growing up, events in his life caused him to put rocks around his heart. He'll share how God's love eventually broke through next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.